Well, guess who got reinstated? Well, not officially. Um, you nervous? Me too. Ah, we'll figure it out. Uh, welcome to White's Fair Row. We're so glad that you're here today. What a blessing uh, for us to be together. Uh, I want to remind you guys, as the bluesy tune was playing about the marriage retreat, to be sure and sign up. We're going to have a wonderful day uh, out of Camp Gioka. Got a lot of fun stuff to share, bringing marriage refresh here. Uh, they're doing some renovations up at the uh, Lake de Grey Resort, so we're excited about coming home. And it uh, gives you a chance, uh, if you don't want to spend a whole weekend, to just spend one day with us refreshing your marriage. So we want to encourage you to do that. Sign up as soon as possible. It occurred to me this week that since we were making some transitions, um, you know, that if you've been here, if you're new within the last seven years, you've only known Trent and Mike. You don't even know who Al is, right? So I thought it would be very important as, as I begin today to, to play a little game called Know Your Preacher. So we're going to see how well White Surrey Row has been paying attention to their preachers. All right. So I'm going to give you something about one of us, and then you're going to let me know who you think it is. All right. Let's play the game. One of us, Trent, Mike, or Al, one of us is physically fit. Now, wait a minute. You're supposed to have to deliberate for just a, more than 0.2 seconds. All right, yeah, it's Trent. Um, but look, don't be fooled. You know, Trent's got the whole package, but there's a lot of power in the midsection. I just want you to know. That's why Mike and I protect it with vests. The vest has been the greatest invention for the middle-aged man since the hat. So uh, praise God. Can we give God praise for vests today? One of us is naturally humorous. Thank you. Thank you for the deliberation. I'm sure the other guys appreciate that. Now, Mike can tell a good preacher joke. He can get you to chuckle. Trent, bless his heart, right? <laughs> but Trent has made the art of not being funny, funny. Trent, that takes talent, so we appreciate that. One of us calls farm animals in support of his favorite college team. Thank you, Mike Kellett. I don't know why people call hogs, uh, but it's in the same league where they have a, a fight song called Rocky Top. So I guess, you know, that's what it is. Mike, I have seen him call the hogs before. One of us has tattoos. Ah, so I heard of one Trent and mostly Al. See, I knew that would get you because here's the thing. Trent's generation, they love the ink, right? They love it. It is me, by the way. I had to text Trent this week. I said, do you have any tattoos? And he texted me back and he said, I'm laughing out loud at that question. So what's part, do what? I know, you don't have one, do you? I knew you didn't. You're t- if you're from North Arkansas, you don't have tattoos. Come on. But let's face it, the, some of our new folks that I've met, you young people out here, when I first met you, I don't know whether to hug you or read you, you know? I mean, <laughs> tattoos are big now. I just want you to know... Way back in 1982, before it was a thing, I had prison-quality tattoos imprinted on my body. One of us is a really good racquetball player. 
I'm surprised. I thought you might. Now, don't let Kellett fool you. You look at Kellett, you think, oh, I'll beat him like a drum. He will beat you like a drum. He is really good. He could probably beat Trent as well, I bet. One of us has the longitude and latitude on his person of the place he first kissed his wife. Trent. And thank you, Trent, for... Do you remember, Kellett, where you first kissed Susan? You have kissed her, haven't you? On the lips. Okay. It's a little more information than I planned on. I thought he was going to say a USO dance or something like that. Uh, so, Trent, you inspired me the other day when you said that in a sermon. I thought that was a really neat thing. And so I went and took a picture of the first place uh, that I, t- I kissed Lisa. So we should show that, guys. There it is. So now every time you go down Thomas Road, you'll know that's the spot, right? One of us loves this church deeply and is honored to be blessed by her and to have served her with the preaching of the Word of God. And that would be all three. What a blessing. Trent, thank you, brother, uh, for the time that you've given us. Amen. It's a blessing to be able to continue to lay a foundation of preaching the Word of God at this place at Whites Ferry Road. So we are honored to serve in that capacity, and we're still going to go forward. Uh, last week, Trent talked about our Vision 2020, Now I See. And that's going to be our theme for the entire year. We want the scales to come off. If you're not seeing Christ clearly, whether it's in your own life or in the life of someone else, we want those scales to fall off. We want this to be the year where you grow in your relationship with Christ. We're going to begin uh, preaching what I call, I say it's making the case for Jesus. Because in essence, that's what the gospel does, does it not? It makes the case. And it's a strong case. It's a, it's, it's a case worth making again and again and again. And the best place I know to do that is out of the book of John. Uh, Mike and I primarily will be preaching, but we'll also, we've got some great, uh, trained, gifted men here that, like Tom Yemen and Jason Robertson and a lot of other people that are going to share out of this book because we want our eyes to be fully focused on Christ. And one of the best books I know to do that is out of the book of John. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the man, because if you're going to do a study and preach from a book, you need to know a little bit about the guy who wrote the book, a little bit about uh, what made him tick and, and the things that he saw in his eyewitness account of Jesus. The first thing that step, you know, sticks out to me about the Apostle John is that he was uneducated and ordinary. And yet, he makes one of the greatest cases for Jesus in the entire Bible. That gives me hope that any of us has the opportunity to do great things. You remember in Acts 3 and Acts 4, whenever John and and Peter were coming into the temple. And remember, everybody's fired up because the church has just gotten started. And so they're coming in there every day and they're getting these new Christians and they're on fire. So they're teaching and they're, they're, you're going back and forth. And of course, there's just a buzz that's going on. And so they come in in Acts 3, and there's this guy, this cripple from, from birth. And he's laying there, and he's begging at the, at the gate called Beautiful, which is a great dichotomy. We think about this beautiful gate, and here's this broken-down man. And he asked him for money. And Peter said, we don't have any money for you. 
but we've got something better. And then they heal him. And he's up and he's hopping and skipping and jumping and running. And everybody says, wow. And so Peter says, the reason that I did that is for this. And then he shares about Jesus. He said, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What a great message that still comes forward to this very day. In Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, because that's courageous. Because we got a lot of people here not too crazy. When he was looking at them and saying, you crucified Jesus, he meant it. He's talking to some of the very people that did it. When they saw the courage and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There's your first thing about being unschooled and ordinary. It doesn't matter if you spend time with Jesus. You spend your time at the foot of the cross. You spend your time talking about him and with him. It changes you. And you don't have to have all the degrees. You don't have to have all the smarts. You don't have to have what the world tells you you have to have to make the case for Christ. That's why I can go halfway around the world and sit down with my brothers and sisters in Liberia who have had zero education because I haven't been in schools there in 20 years, and yet I feel the Spirit of God moving powerfully and I see lives being changed. That's all over the world. Satan has sold us a bill of goods that unless you have this, this, and this, you can't succeed. That's not true. Success is making it to heaven. Success is changing your life and changing the destiny of your family. That's success. Success is not being held bondage anymore by sin but to be freed. What a blessing. So he was uneducated. He was ordinary. He was a commercial fisherman, which in my family, I, I take that as a high honor because I grew up with my family commercial fishing. Now I got to tell you something about commercial fishing. It stinks constantly. I mean, it stinks in the sense that it's hard work, but it literally stinks. You stink when you commercial fish. You can smell a commercial fisherman coming from a long ways away. You smell like dead fish. Isn't that right, Jace? So it stinks. You fail much more than you succeed because the nets are empty more than they're full. And it doesn't pay much. It's very low pay. So you say, why would anybody be a commercial fisherman? That's a good question. And yet that's what we were. And that's what he was. And that's what four out of 12 disciples were. So there must be something faith-based about commercial fishing. After all, Jesus would tell him that he would be a fisher of men. I can't tell you how many times that we prayed because our commercial fishing business was feeding our early duck call business. How many times that we prayed early in the morning on the front of a boat that the Almighty would send 300 pounds of fish into those nets before we picked them up. And somebody says, well, that's stupid. They were already in there or not in there. Not to us. We believed. And we'd go out and pick up those nets, and guess what? Mom would take them in. How many would get, Miss Kay? 327 pounds of cat. We're going to get that bill paid. Duck commander lives another day and another day. 
It was literally a manna philosophy of living. But you know what? We trusted God. He knew one day we'd be on TV and running all over the country. He didn't want us to think it was our idea. So we had some humility training. Maybe that's why Jesus picked four fishermen. He knew how to impress them. A big catch of fish, right? And he did it on more than one occasion. He was a son of thunder. Now that's just awesome. Jesus gave him the nickname, he and his brother, uh, the Boanerges is the, what the word actually means, brothers, but it means sons of thunder, James and John. Now, that's like the most awesome nickname ever, right? I mean, that's like a WWE duo, the sons of thunder, you know? I mean, if I were going to be one of the disciples, that's the name I would want, the son of thunder. So when Mark, who obviously was a fan of the sons of thunder, because he tells about when they came up and asked Jesus, they were like, can one of us sit on your left and one of, one of us sit on your right? Well, that's what sons of thunder would do, right? We want to be right there. We want to be leading. We're sons of thunder. But hold on just a minute. Matthew tells a little different version of the same story. Matthew told it like it was, because guess what the sons of thunder did? They got their mother to come ask Jesus if they could sit on the left or the right. That doesn't sound very sons of thunderish, does it? That sounds like mama's boy. So we've got to be honest, right? It's the Bible. He's a son of thunder and a mama's boy at the same time, and that's okay. I tell you what he was that impressed me the most. The apostle John was trustworthy. He was trustworthy. You know how I know that? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, trusted him. He trusted him. He said, what do you mean, Al? Well, when I look at the Bible and I see the times when God trusted in men and women, and he did many, because they trusted in him. I read names like Moses and Abraham and Job, Rahab and Ruth. And then I see John. You remember in John 13, there at the Last Supper? And Jesus announces that one of them is going to betray him on this night. Peter, who's really wondering who it is, and I, and I wonder if he was thinking, is it me? Because it would be two. He looks over at John and gives him the signal like, find out who it is. Why did he do that to John? And then John, of course, leans back into Jesus and Jesus tells him, the one who I dipped the bread in with is the one. And, of course, it was Judas. Peter knew that Jesus trusted John. That's powerful. In John 19, at the scene of the execution, from their perspective, from the sacrifice from Jesus's, guess who was there with Mary? The only one, by the way, of the disciples that we see was there. John. Jesus looks down and sees them there together. And he didn't say a lot when he was on that cross, but he said this, Dear woman, here is your son. And he looked at John and said, here is your mother. How trusting was that? That should have passed to one of his brothers. But you know what? He didn't even trust his own brothers to take care of Mary, but he trusted John. And he said, take care of her. From that time on, the Bible says, John took her into his home. Maybe that's why John lived longer than the rest, because Jesus gave him a task, because he was trustworthy. 
In John 20, it was John who outran Peter and was the first one in the tomb, the first human being to witness the resurrection of Christ. John. Trustworthy. In John 21, when Jesus reinstated Peter after his betrayal, guess who was right there? To be his partner. To offer his own forgiveness and to do ministry. John. How much does God trust you? I can guarantee you this. If you're going through some great trial today, some sickness, some emotional thing with somebody you love, God is trusting you with that. And he's asking you to trust him through the process. How much does God trust you? How trustworthy are we? John starts off his book in John 1, 1 with these words, and they are powerful. In the beginning. So this, this trustworthy, uneducated, ordinary, former commercial fisherman, sometimes son of thunder, sometimes mama's boy, starts off a book by going back to the very beginning of the Bible and says, in the beginning. And then he's going to make the case for Christ. Because you see, the case for Christ has been around since Genesis 1, verse 1. How did this man know to start this way? Because he had been with Jesus. And because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. And God said. And God said. And God said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Separate and yet the same. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, this Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In verse 14, John would say, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And God said. Genesis one twenty six. the Bible says, that God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image in our likeness. So we've got this God that's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we see Jesus' role as the Word, the spoken Word, who would then later become flesh to then bring us the opportunity for salvation and light and blessing. Just like we're made up of three, right? Body, soul, and spirit. Our physicality. And then at the same time, our emotions and our intellect, our spirit. And then that soulish, spiritual nature that's drawing back to something bigger than who we are. We are made in the image of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. 
Paul would put it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Another beautiful image of the same topic that John was talking about. By the way, so John was the unschooled, ordinary commercial fisherman. Paul was the Hebrew scholar, tribe of Benjamin, brainiac of brainiacs that wrote half the New Testament. And yet they had the same image of the Christ. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? What God's creation can be. The smartest of the smart. The not smartest of the smart. And yet both striving to serve God in all things. What a blessing. Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Because see, it's so easy for us to be disconnected because it's like, well, God, I, I, I hope you're there. I know you're there. I see the cosmos. I see the design. But it's just that invisibility. We needed more to know. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, from the tiniest microbe that can only be seen with a microscope to the cosmos that we wonder and marvel at. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together beyond time and literally the molecular structure of holding things together. He has that power. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Kurt Lively. I was hoping you were here today. John continues his case for Jesus by letting us know that he didn't just create us and forget about us. The problem with intelligent design, and I'm all for it because that's great because they're looking beyond, but it's more than just intelligent design made us. Intelligent design is a God that loves us, created us, and wants a relationship with us. It's more than just big bang and here we go. He came here. He became flesh. He became one of us. And he's one of us forever. He never gave up his divine nature of who he was as God. But he changed. He became one of us. And then in glorified flesh, he left here. He had a purpose. He came to bring life. You know why? Because he is life. He came to bring light. You know why? Because he is light. He came to bring glory. You know why? Because he is glory. He came to bring grace because he's grace. He came to bring truth because guess what? He's truth. All those things. He is. Therefore, we are if we're in him. He said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the life that we live in Christ. Paul would go on to say in Colossians 1, here's how he put it, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Therefore, as we're here today, as part of his church, we're saying he's here with us always. He is our head. We are his body. Therefore, we do his work while we're on this earth. That's what we're called to. The head directs the body. He is the beginning And the firstborn from among the dead, he raised from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy even over death. So yesterday, a family gathers here. They honor the life of one of our dear sisters. 
But there is no fear that we will not see her again because we know in the resurrection we will. That's what Jesus did for us. That's why he is supreme. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. That's the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once, Paul said, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sin is damaging, it's destructive. And even as sons and daughters of the Almighty, we know the, the havoc that it wreaks in our lives. But in Christ, that's changed because we appeal to the blood of the cross. We are no longer held slave, but we are free. But now, he says in verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. You are holy if you are in Christ. Not because of you, but because of him. Without blemish and free from accusation. Man, that'll help you sleep at night, brothers. Free from accusation. Because you see, we have an accuser, we have a roamer, we have a lion that thinks he can control our lives. But he has been defeated by Jesus Christ to no longer have control over us. And so we renounce his accusation, we renounce his blemish, and we do it through Jesus Christ. What a case. So maybe you're being challenged today, physically, emotionally, intellectually. Sometimes we just go through those periods where we doubt and we wonder. That's the evil one trying to make his case. But you know what your answer is? I stand on the case for Christ. That's what he did for me. I love this closing text, Colossians 1.23. Because there's a word here that's very important. You see it in the Bible. You better take note. You're free from accusation. Somebody want to say the word? If. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Perk up. Better listen. Better get perky on this one. Perky. If. If. So this is my part. What do you want me to do, Lord? Let's see how hard this is. If you continue in your faith. All right, I got that. In other words, just keep going. To continue means to keep going. Yeah, but, yeah, but oh, man, sometimes my faith is weak. It doesn't say continue in your faith only when it's strong. If you continue in your faith. Yes, sometimes faith is strong. Sometimes it's weaker. That's why we have other people to help us through those moments. That's our family. If you continue in your faith, established, firm. I'm not going anywhere. And, uh uh-oh, another one, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So if I am established in my faith, that means I'm never going to give up hope. The hope that comes from the gospel. Never. Oh, man, but things are looking bleak. Things are looking tough. Yeah, but I have two things. I have faith and I have hope. 
That's my if. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed. Paul would add one more to that in 1 Corinthians 13. And he said it's even greater than faith and hope. What is that? Love. That's the greatest of all. Just love. Love God. Love people. Love your family. Love the world. I mean, there's a lot of people that are hate-worthy out there, but you know what? We love them anyway because we want them to know what we know, every single one. So the call today is, where are you in that? Has Jesus made his case for you? If you're not a Christian and you've never embraced him, and decided to follow him, then that's your first step. Because you got to know what faith is, right? you got to know what the hope is all about. And it's just what I talked about this morning. But it has to be real to you. It has to be embraced by you. I've learned in life there's only one true expert thing you are, any of us. And that's about you. Because you know. You know whether you've embraced him or not. And no one else knows that but you. If you haven't, today's a good day to start you can profess that faith you can confess him as lord we'll baptize you right back here in some nice warm water i hope holy spirit will live in your heart and god then will indwell you as you walk forward or sometimes we just need a little refreshing last week we had several that came forward and many illnesses and dealing with cancer and just tough things. But you know what? As I shared prayers and listened to people's hearts, I saw a couple of things very strong. I saw established faith and hope in the gospel. And so we're a family and we're always open to that as well. If you have a need at all, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?